0: To learn more and to claim your company listing, visit agtechcompanies.com.
1: People on this planet are moving towards urban areas. And the agriculture system at large is is just using more, taking more and giving less. And so I think really it's just what really strikes a nerve with me is the need to find new ways of doing things. And so the ability to tie really, and this is this is my perspective coming in, to Bowery was the ability to tie technology into farming. Welcome to the Vertical Farming Podcast, weekly conversations with fascinating CEOs, founders and agtech tech visionaries. Join us every week as we dive deep into the world of vertical farming with your host, Harry Duran.
0: If you happen to hear a little background music, it's just something I have on in the background for the holiday spirit. Vertical Farming Podcast Season 2. Happy Holidays. Recording this in December 2020. I think we're all looking forward to wrapping up this year and seeing what 2021 has in store for us. If this is your first time listening to the show, thank you for joining me and thank you for listening to these conversations. I'm sure you're in the right place as this is the show where we interview fascinating CEOs and founders of the leading vertical farming companies from around the world. And in case you missed last week's episode, we had a doozy of a conversation with John Purcell. He is the personable and gregarious and engaging CEO of Unfold. If you haven't listened to it, I highly recommend you check it out. This week, I have the privilege of speaking to Henry Stuhl. He's the chief science officer at Bowery Farms. Henry is a physicist, an entrepreneur, and a self-proclaimed tinkerer. With the team at Bowery, he's on an ambitious mission to transform the future of food and change the face of agriculture. In this episode, we discuss the promise that vertical farming provides and why it resonated so soundly with Henry. He shares his personal career journey, his thoughts on the current state of agriculture, and what excites him most about the future of hydroponics. I find out the story of how he met Irving Fain, the founder and CEO of Bowery. We talk a little bit more about the technology that they're using and their commitment to do better. We segue into a chat about Bowery's extensive research and development process, and how COVID has affected Bowery's approach to building resilient food systems. Always curious what my guests are thinking about the future of agtech, so Henry and I touch upon that, and he shares what's exciting him about the future of vertical farming. This episode is brought to you by Ceres, who combines smart greenhouse design with customized climate control technology to build sustainable grow environments for year-round production. They work with their customers and clients every step of the way, from helping to secure funding to providing growing data. Whether you're a commercial entrepreneur, an educator, or someone looking for a rewarding hobby, visit seriesgs.com, that's C-E-R-E-S-G-S.com, to get started on your greenhouse goals. If you enjoyed this episode or past episodes, I'd love it if you leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. So let's jump into this conversation with Henry. So, Henry Stuhl, Chief Science Officer of Bowery Farming, thank you for joining us on the Vertical Farming Podcast.
1: My pleasure. Very happy to be here and join you, Harry.
0: So, always like to day stamp these. Uh, I've seen people talk about today being the, the first day of the last month in 2020. <laughs> it's <laughs> which, finally here. It gets people pretty excited. Yeah, I think people are just about done with 2020. So, just want to get a feel for what, what the year has been like for you.
1: The year has been wild. I think is, that'll be my adjective, wild. You know, obviously a ton going on from every angle, COVID, you know, climate change, politics, everything at Bowery. We're fortunate to be working on something to get impact, to help some of that. It's been invigorating from that point of view to, to have, you know, work to fall back on.
0: Do you have early recollections? I think, like, if you think about what you're studying in, in like grade school, and then and when you went to university, can you point to a trajectory that led you to like where you know your your current job at Bowery, or was it with more of a meandering path?
1: It's probably a little bit of both. I actually that that's a great. I love that question. It's probably a little bit of both. Like, I always wanted. I was always curious about how things worked, how to improve things, and so I had a little bit scientist, a little bit engineer, sort of always in me and. One of the things that I looked for after college was this mythical place that I heard of called Silicon Alley in New York. Oh yeah, yeah. and and I found it, and I got into the startup world, and was able to to create things and and build products, and and uh, very fortunately, I stumbled upon indoor farming. It's a great area to combine the science, the engineering, my passion for the life sciences, and and how the world works. It's it's a sort of amalgamation, a perfect melting pot of everything coming together.
0: Did I see correctly that on, I think it's on LinkedIn profile, You one of the words you used was tinkerer?
1: I am a tinkerer. Yeah, I love, (laughs) actually, that's how I got into ag tech vertical farming in the first place. I had a a early 3D printer, sort of like the first uh, called cheap 3D printer. And I was sitting at my desk at work printing um, parts for a hydroponic system. This, like modular hydroponic system that i could 3d print myself okay and so yeah i just i love to tinker with things and and it was sort of coincidental at that, that that same week irving Fain, the the ceo and one of the co-founders of bowery shot me a note saying hey let's grab coffee
0: when do you can you point to an, an early interest in technology and gadgets is it just like is it, was it certain shows that brought you in was it your parents or like where did that passion start
1: that's a dangerous question because I'll date myself a little bit. I used to watch uh Mr. Wizard. Oh yeah. Right? Wow. Awesome show. Yeah. Not the black and white version like, you know, a little bit later, but you know, between that and some really great teachers along the way, my my passion to to do just that to tinker was has always been there and and I'm very fortunate to be able to do it for a career,
0: a profession. Are there any uh inventions that you can claim credit for?
1: Yeah, actually. I work to develop a new type of twisted optical fiber that when a laser passes through it a very unique special beam comes out the other side which has what what's called optical angular momentum and uh, that's actually what my my phd thesis is on and if you're not careful we'll like go totally into that so maybe i'll leave it there
0: (laughs) and what's what's a use case for something like that
1: encoding more information in the same fiber optic cable yeah so more beyond that but but uh, an interesting exciting time for me.
0: Yeah, I think I've always been fascinated as people start to understand just how much information is encoded in things like our DNA and you know people looking at DNA as a as a re- repository as a storage system for data just because of the, the the nature of it and and I'm sure that fiber optics operate in, in the same capacity but just there's no shortage of information that needs to be stored and retrieved nowadays.
1: <laughs> exactly. And you tie that you go into the quantum mechanical world and it opens up. Yeah. A whole other set of of interesting possibilities.
0: Yeah, because I think the quantum, the physics, they start to get into like what could be probably termed like supernatural, and then like objects at a distance, and then like observed objects behaving differently. <laughs> it starts to get pretty crazy. What's your earliest recollection of this? What we would call probably ag tech, indoor farming. You mentioned hydroponics, so it, it seemed like that was on your radar early on.
1: I mean, early on being, you know. Really, the start of my journey at Bowery. You know, really before Bowery, I was in the tech world. I was, you know, building okay. you know v- video discovery apps on different platforms, and sold that company to to Samsung, and was there building next generation okay. smart TVs. And one of the things that I just remember sitting there, yeah. working on very very exciting, interesting, cutting edge things, working with you know the top media companies in the world, but sitting back and thinking what like. I need more, you know, and I remember my kids coming to work with me and sitting in front of a big TV and I was going, wow, like they're sitting here seeing me spending all of my time and effort, like to build a TV, which, which can be great, but, but I wanted something different. I was really looking for, you know, for something to have an impact, more of an impact in people's daily lives. Not just the idea of like growing hydroponically, but growing I actually knew nothing about it, but when I first heard about building warehouse scale indoor farms near urban yeah. areas, like a light just clicked in my head and said, This is <laughs> this makes the most sense that I've ever heard before. And I remember Irving telling me, you know, his plans for building Bowery early on. And and I felt like I was finishing his sentences and it was really just like a, a light bulb experience.
0: There's something about what you said this idea of indoor farming the potential for it to to feed a larger group of people and sort of handle the bigger crisis that we're facing in this world in terms of food shortages why and maybe something you need to think about but why is that important to you or or why is the thought of that or the promise of that something that 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 was attractive to you?
1: yeah so what really clicked with me is it's not just feeding people now like it's feeding people to come. And so our global population is, you know, set set to rise to to really just mind-boggling numbers. The people on this planet are moving towards urban areas. And the agriculture system at large is, is just using more, taking more, and giving less. And so I think really it's just what really strikes a nerve with me is the need to find new ways of doing things. And so the ability to tie really and this is this is my perspective coming in to bowery was the ability to tie yeah. technology into farming this like you know thousands of year old practice where people are yeah yeah you know to get people produce faster right days not weeks to get it more efficiently to people it has all these added benefits right it has the benefits of being more more nutritious the ability to grow without pesticides, right? To be healthier, to, to taste better, to last longer, and to, to taste better. I don't know if I said that one already. That's some of it. And actually, it was a little bit of a leap of faith because I had never seen an indoor farm. I'd never seen a vertical farm. Okay. And I remember th- this like distinct moment in our first warehouse where Irving, you know, I was there with Irving and the other, the other co-founders of the company. And there was just five of us in the company at the time. And we we're standing in this empty warehouse, and Irving turned to me and goes, "Can you can you imagine what we're going to do in this warehouse?" And I looked at him, and with this straight face, I said, "No, I can't. I can't even imagine it. It's it's unbelievable."
0: What's the story of how you guys connected and how you met and how he convinced you to to start working together?
1: Yeah. So actually, Irving and I were in um, a tech incubator together called TechStars. Okay. In 2010, we were in the first class of the New York city tech stars program and, uh, separate companies, but developed a friendship, our companies that we, you know, continued to grow outside of the program where, you know, our offices were in the same building Mm. and, uh, yeah, he knew I was at Samsung sort of writing my time there and yeah, he reached out and we had some coffee and he told me about this crazy idea and, and I was hooked. I was hooked. And, uh, a team of 5 of us which i think we liked, likened to like captain planet or uh, like voltron okay right what like we, Volt- each, <laughs> we each had our our areas of expertise and came together and yeah. worked together in a really like cohesive fashion to build what was then you know our first farm that we considered to be a prototype mm-hmm. and really focused on showing that we could build a farm grow in it operate it and sell it out under our own brand and we were just laser focused and, and you know, went for those three targets. And, and it was a really good, uh, great experience.
0: What do you think it says about Irving's vision that he understood the need to build a team with such a, a wide variety of skill sets?
1: I think, like, he and the other co-founders really understood how big of a problem this is and mm-hmm. how big of an opportunity. Yeah. And so... One of the things I give him a lot of credit credit for is is identifying that technology would play such a big part in solving some of the problems. That was largely my focus at the beginning of Bowery was was building what we yeah. now today call the Bowery operating system. Okay. And you know the way I describe the Bowery operating system is software, hardware, and AI tools that we use to mm-hmm. operate and learn from our farms. It's really like the central nervous system of the farm and, and the company. Yeah. And you know, what I really describe what we're doing is scaling the unscalable, right? Mm. And you can talk about building a farm. And this is what happened. We built, you know, our prototype farm and learned how to build it and operate it and and sell it out. And we figured it out. And when you go and do that at a time, 30 times the size, which is what we ended up doing with our next farm, man, the things that you learn from that, that scaling is, is intense. And so, Using technology to be able to solve the problems is what we really focused early on, which I think was really insightful. And so I think that's – does that answer your question?
0: Yeah, yeah, Yeah. that's helpful. I'm wondering how you, coming in with your experience – how you think about tackling a problem this big, especially when there's no roadmap? It's not like someone you inherited someone's job and they're like, oh, this is what you do on day one, because <laughs> this is what the old guy did. <laughs> like you have to come in with like that blank slate and they're trusting you to know enough to come in and support them, but also kind of like to your point, like scaling is unscalable is also like planning. Um, can you talk a little bit about the technology that you're using in Bowery Farms? You know, how how much is automation? versus personnel, because I think that's an important distinction.
1: Yeah, 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 for sure. So, you know, I mentioned the Bowery operating system. When I think about, you know, the two main use cases, which is like operating and learning from our farms, operating could be things like turning lights, fans, or irrigation Mm -hmm. on or off. And so we have built some proprietary hardware to do that, that connects with really a first-of-its-kind automation system, And so it all connects together in a way that from that aspect of it, of like how things move around, how you get to Mm -hmm. crops, keeping track of what lights are on and off. Like all of that is automated because, you know, going back to making the unscalable scalable, we realized early on that someone could not, you know, be sitting there keeping track of what needed, what type of light, what recipe of light, how much day versus night, you know, and you think about all the variables that go Mm -hmm. into growing plants it's, you know, things like light photo period, intensity, spectra, irrigation, there's just too many variables yeah. to keep track of from a people point of view. And so the Bowery OS has automated a lot of that. You know, we still have people in our farms and and uh, people play an important part of ensuring the highest quality product ending up, you know, in consumers hands. And so yeah, like I said, people will always be an important mm-hmm. part. And we've, we've thought about what challenges really exist and try to automate there. And so a great example is, you know, when it comes to, you know, seeding, you know, we've introduced seeding to automation to the seeding process as an example, you know, something that happens yeah. many, many, many times a day.
0: And do you also look into factors such as, you know, a I, I, I chat with the folks at, the folks who are working at Bayer, the Unhold, the and then just mm-hmm. the work that's being done in genomics. And, and, and do you work at, operate at that level or, or is it mostly other options?
1: Yeah. So this is, so now I'll really, you know, this is where I'll, I'll get really yeah. passionate. I was talking about operating. There's also the yeah. learning side. And so at Bowery, we're very committed to constantly doing better, doing better from a yield point of view, a quality point of view, and a sensory point of view. And so what we look to do in our our farms is treat every crop as a learning opportunity. Hmm. A Bowery farm is very much like an assembly line okay. for plants where every day we plant, harvest, pack and yeah. ship. Right. And so in our large our largest farm in in the Baltimore, Maryland area, we have upwards of a hundred thousand crop cycles a year. Wow. Which if you think compared to traditional yeah. farm is staggering, right? Part of that is like our definition of what a crop is, but really each crop, each planting of a certain cultivar, or a certain type of crop, we think of and track independently. And so, you know, one way I didn't describe Bowery earlier was, was as a company where we really focus on, on delivering protected produce to, to our consumers. And so part of protected produce is this idea of traceability. And so we actually have traceability of our crops mm. from seed to store. We know everything, we know where they've been, who has interacted yeah. With what, where? We know what experience the crop has had during its life. And so we don't grow with one recipe for a butterhead. Okay. In fact, we don't even grow just one butterhead necessarily in a Bowery farm. We're constantly looking to improve. And so through this idea of, of doing science at scale and treating every crop as a learning opportunity, we're able to slightly tweak and understand the environment's effect on the genetics. Right. And mm. I'm sure as part of the conversation you're talking about, you know, this came up in, in that yeah. we have the ability to so tightly control the environment and the ability to pick the genetics, not because of disease resistance, but because of response to photo period or mm. response to, you know, temperature, humidity yeah. differences in relation to, to photo uh, period or intensity. And so, yeah, it's just the possibilities are endless. And we have learned so much in the past year from this idea of treating every crop as, as part of a big science experiment.
0: Do you find that there's challenges in terms of almost having too much data, that you know, how much of it is actionable and how much of it can be turned around into something that can have a tangible impact on the final product?
1: Yeah, so there's two tricks, right? The yeah. first trick is in this big science experiment, you have to be able to ship all the product, right? Like mm-hmm. You can't be growing product and just have to throw it out. So you, yeah. you have to experiment smartly. And then the other part is you can drown in data.
0: Yeah, of course. And
1: I I would laugh early on. You know, we'd sit, you know, all all of us would sit around the table in the company and we'd we'd laugh, you know, jokingly when we would hear other companies say that they have millions of data points. <laughs> you know, they're collecting millions yeah. of data points a day. Well, you know what, we could increase our frequency of data collection and have tens of millions of data points, but that doesn't, that's not where the intelligence is. And so this problem of drowning in data that you're talking about is, again, partially solved with with being smart, Mm -hmm. right, of what you're collecting and how you're using it. It's also can be solved by having very explicit questions to ask of the data, understanding where your challenges are, and using either, you know, simple decision-making algorithms, more complex machine learning algorithms, or, you know, more complex AI deep learning techniques Mm -hmm. to make sense of all the information you have.
0: And do you find that I'm wondering it sort of like presents itself with its own set of new challenges? So d- does that then start to color how you think about the team that you need to grow in order to you know, sort of work with all these data points and then and then act upon them?
1: Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. I would say you know as we've grown the team at Bowery, it's been really focused, certainly on the operations side, also very much on the the tech you know the science and yeah. tech side. You know, and as we've grown as a company, you know, I mentioned the number of farms we have. This year we've grown mm-hmm. from being roughly in a hundred stores early in the year, in like January, to, yeah. to over six hundred and eighty stores now. Mm. And so you also need the sales and marketing, you know, commercial team to support that. And the yeah. people team, right, to help you build the company. And so we've really built a a diverse company that of course, you know, is needs to focus on the the technology and the operations and the science and the commercial aspect and the finance. There's a lot, you know, I said this early on when we were talking, there's a lot that goes into building, you know, a, a modern vertical farm. Uh, so it's it's really exciting.
0: I I'm thinking about all the the brainpower that's going to the operations inside the building, but then there's also, you know, you're speaking about different neighborhoods and locations. So is some of that brainpower going to decide where to like place the next farms?
1: <laughs> For sure. Yeah. I
0: think
1: that's part of it, right? There's, there's lots of different aspects of like, where should you, where's the best place to put a a large warehouse scale indoor farm? Mm -hmm. And so you have to think really strategically about how you do that and when you do that. And yeah, we certainly, you know, that's where our minds are these days.
0: Can you talk a little bit about the uh, Bowery's R&D process, you know, the approach? And uh, I understand it's a pretty, pretty big focus for the company as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so really you know i was talking about how we do science at scale Mm -hmm. that's really grounded by you know how we think about r&d at large and so at a much smaller scale we're focused on the environment and the genetics Mm -hmm. in our current product offering we experiment with hundreds and hundreds of of different recipes and different cultivars Mm -hmm. and the goal is really to find the best combinations the best combination in this space this really large space of of like it's a it's really a big multi-variable uh, optimization problem. We also have an arm of research focused on future looking products. Mm. And so, you know, we have investigated things ranging from onions and carrots and watermelon and strawberries and tomatoes to, you know, that's all really exciting, to things like, you know, just crispier mm. lettuce and So we have a whole branch, you know, focused of research effort, focused, focused there.
0: Is there anything that you've seen with some testing out some of these new types of foods that show some promise in terms of what people might normally not think of or associate with vertical farming?
1: Yeah. So we are particularly focused right now. Well, let me go back, you know, a couple of months. We recently launched a product that we're really excited about called Crispy Leaf. Okay. It's on shelves now. It came from this idea of wanting to sell a crispier lettuce, almost something like an iceberg, Mm -hmm. but something that has, you know, that's a little bit darker and richer and not, not like your, your traditional iceberg. And so we experimented with lots and lots of different varieties from a number of, of seed companies. And we ended up landing on a, a product that we're really, really proud of really crisp, flavorful product and we're seeing some real traction in stores now. That's an example of like extending a current product line. You know, we're also, we've been learning a lot about growing spinach indoors, Mm. which is particularly challenging from really from seed to store presents a number of challenges in a vertical farm. And so, uh, you know, we've made tremendous progress there and are looking to bring that to market in the not too distant future. You know, things get to get to be a little bit more exciting and interesting when we talk about strawberries. Mm -hmm. And so we've been focused on strawberry research and growing out of of our R&D farm strawberries for about a year now and are just really excited about the direction and where we can take, you know, this idea of having terrific tasting healthy produce all year round Mm -hmm. in the leafy greens and taking it to something like strawberries where you know, to get a deep red, truly flavorful strawberry that was grown, you know, nearby where you live, you know, it's impossible in in (laughs) the country.
0: Yeah. And I think what people's, when you think of the other brands and it's not necessarily, there's not a correlation between the size or even color sometimes of of a strawberry. And then when you try to, in terms of how it tastes, (laughs) and I think that's That's part of the challenge that people are discovering that, you know, the more, flavorable, more flavorful may not necessarily be the, the prettiest and how to reconcile that.
1: Exactly. And so we think we're thinking really carefully about and methodically about, you know, what where we're devoting our research efforts and, you know, areas like that where we can impact flavor and can provide like a high quality product year round is where we're looking. Yeah, it's really exciting. And I, I think it's a real... I think how we think about doing research at Bowery is a real differentiator. Mm -hmm. The amount of effort and energy focused on not just, you know, creating high yielding product, but like the best tasting product that lasts a long time. That was one of the things actually, you know, to sort of go back to early Bowery times Mm -hmm. that I really took away when I took home the first product, (laughs) I'll never forget it because I went home. I had just moved into a house in the suburbs. I I grew up in New York City, lived there my whole life. So I had for the first time, like an extra refrigerator, <laughs> right? Like a refrigerator in the basement. Yeah, yeah. And I brought home this big bag. I felt like Santa Claus. <laughs> I brought home a big bag of lettuce. And every day we, you know, we took some out. That bag lasted for like a month, Wow! just like same quality. And I was blown away by that. Right. And so again, making the unscalable yeah. scalable as we, you know, increase production, you know, that becomes a challenge, But but we're doing that. And it's, a lot of that is driven from our research efforts. You know, we think a lot about not just what we can grow and how we can grow it, but how long does it last, right? What's the quality over time? And mm-hmm. you know, What's the consumer experience, you know, a day later, a week later, a month later?
0: I wanted to pivot a little bit and talk about this idea of building resilient food systems in light of everything that's happened with the pandemic. And I'm wondering if you could talk about that, how, if anything has changed, you know, you, the, the thought process has changed at Bowery pre and post, and then what, what adjustments have, have, have you been making at Bowery?
1: Mm-hmm. I think more than anything, we're more committed now than we were a, a year ago Yeah, to the benefit that we bring to communities. You know, the fact that we can locate our farms closer to the consumer means we can contribute to to stability of regional food supply. And what we can do, which is really exciting and, and interesting, is offer a flexible and adaptable food source. Mm. And so what I mean by that is one of the core concepts in a Bowery farm is that we can we can adapt and adjust to the grow environment pretty much anywhere in the farm. And so if we can grow butterhead lettuce today you know in part of the farm and next week use that same space for basil or kale mm. or my favorite arugula yeah. and that flexibility means we can really adapt over time to what the needs of the communities are and so you can go back to like um e coli outbreaks and the response from our retail partners was what can you give us like what can you give us today and you can can you give us more you know, romaine, mm. you know, in a couple of weeks. Yeah. And so we can adapt to that. And I think as a company, we're all more focused on the impact that we can have given everything that we've been going through in it. And so, you, you know, you asked about yeah. resilient food systems. I think at the core, that's, that's what we've been working on and building for, for over five years now.
0: And do you find that the, the ability for Bowery to be nimble and, and responsive, do you see that as a differentiator?
1: Yeah. I mean, that goes back to flexibility. And so, you know, there are a lot of people out there that do something similar to us. And I think one of the things that we truly differentiate ourselves in is is in flexibility and the adaptability of our growth systems. And so, you know, part of that comes back to the Bowery operating system and the technology, right? The fact that we have a decentralized control and sensing system, and we know, you know, that when a crop exists you know, at a grow space in one of our farms today, it could be butterhead and tomorrow it could be purple bok choy. Mm -hmm. That's something powerful. And that's something, you know, that we, we really, you know, have been doubling down on more and more.
0: How do you think about how Bowery can exist alongside, you know, longstanding family farms, traditional agriculture? How do you see that partnership working and growing in the future?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think, some people think it's an all or nothing mm-hmm. it's an all or nothing game yeah. the the fact is that the the global population is growing and growing and the direction that our supply chain is going just can't keep up with the the future demand yeah. and so i think there'll be a place for for all of that i do think you know vertical indoor farming will make up more and more of the produce aisle over time just because the fact that we can you know provide 365 days a year it's too compelling yeah. to an argument you know short answer i think there's a place for everyone to make yeah. an impact as as we face some of the challenges of the 21st century but but we're here now
0: i'm wondering what your thoughts are you know have you know growing up with a interest in technology and then now being able to marry that with you know the needs that we have for an abundant source of foods and food deserts and and, and the challenges we face getting local food to people that need it. I wonder if you've thought about or what you think about how that affects programs that either exist or need to be put in place at an early level for people to see this or first for kids to see this as a viable path forward to learn more about, you know, not just traditional farming, but like this mix of what's happening now with vertical farming and opportunities for, you know, new careers in this field?
1: That's a a really interesting question. I haven't really thought much about the answer, but one thing that I do remember and look back to was like Mm -hmm. going to the supermarket with my parents as a kid. Hmm. I remember walking down aisles and being interested in, sure, the, you know, whatever the sugary cereal of the month was, but like (laughs) the different types of produce I remember being fascinated. I, this, is, this is going to come off strange, but like different, like way chicken was sitting in the meat aisle mm. and, you know, different types of cuts of beef. Yeah. My grandfather was a butcher, okay. so like maybe did my, <laughs> my blood a little yeah. bit, but I just, I remember that interest, like an interest always being there. And I think, you know, one of the ways that we can be be impactful is, is really showing a different way of showing up in the produce aisle. And, and telling a part of our story there to spark some interest. Yeah. You know, not every kid walks around, you know, the produce eye, but <laughs> I think that's part of it, right? Yeah. And I think there are many ways. I think just finding ways to tell people that this exists, mm-hmm. you know, the best way is getting our produce in more and more people's hands. And so the type of growth that I talked about, you know, going from 100 stores to more than 680 stores, right? Yeah. It's just Just gets our name out there more. I have this, you know, vision of one of the things that we have in the Bowery OS is pictures and videos of all of our crops growing. And so we have this eye on the crops. And what I'd love to be able to do is, is to have kids be able to go online, kids or adults go online and see, you know, a video of their plants growing. And that's just an example of what, you know, some of the things that we can do. And really, I think it's education like that, creating experiences Around our food is the real answer,
0: yeah, because if you think about you know where where kids look to for inspiration and you know depending what area you grew up, it's the, the you know the fireman or the or the astronaut, <laughs> but I think there's new opportunities I think when people see what what can be done and, and what what options are available and to your point, just sparking you know a child's imagination, I think is usually a great starting point
1: yeah, 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 exactly. I know since I've been at Bowery, like my kids have been more, you know, interested in in just gr- thing, growing things in general, mm. and that's all that's their exposure, yeah, right? And yeah. so I think we, we do have to find more ways to bring that type of exposure into urban areas. I know there's there's you know many people that that are working on that that problem and doing some interesting things. I know in the the New York area, you know, there's community gardens yeah. and, and school programs and greenhouse programs and. You know the whole industry that part of the industry is is really progressing. I think that's how you part of you know the other way that that we can increase exposure over time
0: a couple of questions as as we wrap up. what's a tough question you've had to ask yourself recently?
1: a uh, tough question that's maybe the toughest question you've asked <laughs> me. a tough question I've had to ask myself is, I don't know maybe like in my you know one of my previous lives, previous hats, mm-hmm. you know building you know, video discovery apps, I often ask myself, you know, what do people want? Mm. You know, you're always thinking about what does the, what does the user want in that that world? It's, it's a user, right? What does the user want? And, you know, I think a tough question beyond at Bowery, just delivering clean, fresh produce, you know, once you get past that, just that you could almost say, but that's a big thing. Once you get past that, you know, what do people want? Do people, do you want a different flavor different flavor of lettuce? Yeah. Do you want a sweet arugula? I think those are some really tough questions that, you know, going back to your question about R and D focus, we could devote, yeah. you know, the next year developing, you know, a sweet arugula. Do people want that?
0: That's, to me, that's a tough question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting because it's hard to predict people's tastes. And then when you see like certain Foods that become more popular, and and then to try to dig into the science, and it's probably some of the what you were struggling with when you were trying to figure out like that what makes a video popular. It's it's along the same lines because you know each human being is going to have its own proclivity for certain flavors, and but then there's always going to be like a a new food or a new product that sort of captures the nation's attention or the world's attention. Yeah,
1: yeah. So at the end of the day, we're actually we're fairly lucky, right? People like are looking for for healthy foods, right? And clean food and reliable food. And so while it's a tough question, there's a very strong base to stand on to help guide us.
0: Is there anything about how you thought about vertical farming in general or about the way you've tackled certain problems where you thought one way and then changed your mind later about a different approach?
1: I think that's the sign of a good leader. I think that's Mm. the sign of good thinker. I often have found myself you know, thinking one way about, you know, maybe a particular design or a direction of an experimental design or, you know, some sort of engineering challenge, come back, you know, a day or a week later and said, you know what, that's that's something we have to reconsider. Mm. You know, I was wrong. I think the ability to say you're wrong is, is big too. So, you know, at, at a high level, yeah, for sure.
0: Is there a previous or current mentor that you've learned a lot from or, or just comes to mind in terms of someone that's been inspirational for you as, as you've advanced in your career?
1: I've had the privilege of working with some really, really interesting people. I think, you know, my PhD advisor was someone that really helped guide the way I think. One mm-hmm. of the things that he, you know, really got me to think about was like, how, how you shape problems. And if you a Approach a problem that you can't solve, how can you change the problem? How can Mm. you change the space of the problem to one that you can solve? And so that's something that I've carried with me everywhere I've I've gone and even more so here at Bowery is, you know, if you can't solve something exactly as it's laid out, what can you change to make it solvable?
0: Mm. It sort of activates different parts of your brain, (laughs) it sounds like.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it gets you to think about the Like not just thinking about a solution, but you think about the problem, right? And at the time now it was about, I think it was a a electricity and magnetism exam that I sat down with and I couldn't answer one thing on the (laughs) the paper, but he said, what could you change, you know, what could you change on this to make, you know, to solve all of them? And and so that's a a lesson I'll take with me.
0: I had a friend who used to ask me a a question and then, and I would say, I don't, I don't know. And she would say, if you did know, what would you say?
1: (laughs) (laughs) right. Yeah. That's a, that's a, a similar thing. And the
0: funny yeah. part is I would actually come up with another, you know, take on the question that I initially thought I had no answer for. So it's, it's interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's exactly, exactly. It. So
0: Henry, what, what, as you know, as, as we wrap up, like, what has you excited? I mean, there's so many innovations happening in the space that, you know, you, and the and definitely leading the way. So as you think about what's coming up and the challenges we face in 2021, What are some of the things that have you excited about what's to come? I think
1: there's really three areas where I get really excited. The first we, we touched on earlier, which is the genetics side of where we're going and, you know, that we're, that there are more and more people in the industry that are recognizing, you know, vertical farming being a big part of the future. It's really opening up doors for us in terms of access to more and more genetics and, at Bowery, we're we're really focused on on um, testing, getting our hands and testing as as much as possible because both forward looking in terms of like what what these companies are developing, but also looking back into historical you know archives, mm. if you will, of what has has been developed yeah. has never been tested with the type of control we have. So that's one area that I'm really excited mm-hmm. about. A second is just expansion in general at Bowery you know, we've fully ramped up our third farm. And having done it three times, the idea of building more and more farms around the country and eventually beyond is just is very exciting. And we're sitting on the precipice of something really, really, really great and exciting. So that's number two. And then number three, again, going back to what I I shared earlier, strawberries are just so exciting to me. You know, I remember as a kid, you know, tasting, you know, strawberries in the summer, and just being so excited. And now, you know, the strawberries I have in my fridge today are, you know, okay. They're big. <laughs> yeah. They're okay. Yeah. And being able to sit where I am and make an impact, you know, on people's experiences when it comes to strawberries is, is just so exciting.
0: No, that's definitely exciting. There's a lot of interesting innovations happening, I think. And, and a lot of people only see it when it shows up in the aisle, in the produce aisle. And I think they don't understand how much work, how much science, how much innovation research goes into, you know, getting that, that new version of the crunchy lettuce on the shelves. And I think that when they hear stories like this, I think hopefully gives them more of an appreciation for how much brain power is going into, you know, your lettuce.
1: Yeah. It's it's really, we're really being thoughtful about, you know, what we present to, to our customers, to our retailers and, uh, and to ourselves and our families. Right. And so I think you're right. What it takes behind the, the, the scenes behind the curtain is is pretty interesting
0: so obviously bowery farming the best place for folks to learn more about what's happening any anywhere else you want to point people to so people can learn more about what, what you guys are working on
1: yeah certainly boweryfarming.com you know you can learn a lot about what we do where we are how we do it and certainly you know we have a number of roles that we're hiring for right now and to come and so you can learn more about all that there and uh you know we're on you know, Instagram and Twitter and all social media outlets at, at Bowery Farming.
0: Yeah. And you've got a great art, collection of articles called, I think the blog is called The Upside. <laughs> so there's I've always been. Yeah. Some and stuff. recipes,
1: yeah. all of, all of that's on our yeah. website also now. And uh, yeah, recipes and just looking for creative things to do with, um, with our produce. Great place to to come and check it out.
0: Well, I want to thank you for taking the time to share your story. Tell us, uh, give us a little bit of a sneak peek inside what's happening at, at, at Bowery Farms. I know that there's a, a lot of you know, front-facing visibility and you guys are in the news a lot, but it was nice to, to get an understanding of actually like humanizing what's happening behind the scenes and, and how much passion and work goes into the whatever the team is doing there.
1: Thanks, Harry. I really I appreciate the opportunity to come and talk today. And uh, yeah, looking forward to talking again in the future, hopefully.
0: Thanks again to this week's guest, Henry Stuhl. Special thanks to our episode sponsor, Series Greenhouse Solutions. Series is creating sustainable growing environments by combining smart design, innovative technology, and dynamic partnerships. Learn more at seriesgs.com. That's C-E-R-E-S-G-S.com. Don't forget if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. We'll be sure to read those out on future episodes. Until we connect again, here's to your health.
1: Thanks for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, which includes any links mentioned in the episode, as well as a full show transcription, visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There, you can sign up for our email list to be notified when new episodes are published.